You are in John chapter 4, okay? So let's just read a couple verses to get us started. The Bible says in verse 27, And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? And the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Do you really want to be like Jesus? What would Jesus have you to do? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you again tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, what a privilege it is to be in this church tonight, to be with these sweet people, their love for you, their love for souls around the world, their giving. God, I thank you for just the privilege of being with them, being with their pastor and his family. God, I do pray that you'll bless this message. Speak to hearts, challenge our lives. If there's one here without Christ, Convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Bring them to the sun tonight, I pray. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I personally believe the greatest missionary of all time is not Paul. The greatest missionary of all time is Jesus Christ himself, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, some of you may remember, and I don't know, they may still have these things, bracelets with the letters WWJD on them. I don't, do they still do that? I don't know, but most everybody knows what that, you got one. Okay, very good. It's, uh, it means, what would Jesus do? Now, I remember the first time I saw one of those, I didn't have a clue what that was. Uh, and I thought, since there was a radio station, a country western music radio station, 50,000 watts of power, WJD out of Chicago, I thought that somebody just messed up the bracelet. I thought it was an advertisement for the radio station. But after seeing a few more of them, I thought, no, that can't be it. Uh, so I asked, what was this about? It's, well, what would Jesus do? Well, what does that mean? What's that for? He said, well, if you're stuck in a situation that's kind of tough, you've got some decisions to make, you just ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? And then you do what Jesus would do, and that will be right. Now, that sounds wonderful. Basically, uh, the idea comes out of the book, uh, In His Steps, where a whole town had to decide, you know, what Jesus would do and then do right with the things that they had going on there. But the problem is, not a whole lot of people really know what Jesus would do. You say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Because, you see, here's, here's the way it works. Most people think that Jesus would do what seems best to them. In other words, if I think certain things about Jesus... And so I'm confronted with it, then my idea of Jesus is going to determine what I think Jesus would do. But most people don't have a clue who Jesus is. Don't have a clue what Jesus would do. I did a little research. I googled WWJD. And man, there are millions of sites on the internet 
with WWJD. There are Baptist sites, Methodist sites, Episcopalian sites, Presbyterian sites, Lutheran sites, Catholic sites, Mormon sites, Jehovah's Witness sites. I mean, you name, you name the group, and man, somebody on it has got a site, WWJD. Uh, I, I looked at a bunch of them. Here was one. It was, Jesus was a vegetarian. <laughs> what would Jesus do? They never read John 21, did they? Um, <laughs> where Jesus had the fish cooking on the fire, man, for the disciples to eat. Uh, not only that, Jack Daniels had it, but I don't think they were talking about Jesus. I think they were talking about Jack Daniels. Uh, here was a site, Barney Online. You know, the purple dinosaur? Had what would Jesus do on it? Uh, here's one, a lot of Islamic, uh, Islamic city in cyberspace. Had what would Jesus do? That seems strange. Here's another one. This one stuck out. Welcome to Hollywood Jesus. Had WWJD on it. Another one that really surprised me. Satannet had WWJD on it. Here's another one, Atheist for Jesus. Now, I had to turn to that one. I, I just had trouble wrapping my head around why in the world they would have WWJD on their website. And I found out, here's what it said they believed. They believed in the teachings of love by Jesus and said when the Apostle John referred to 666, uh, the Antichrist, he was referring to the Apostle Paul who perverted the teachings of Jesus. And here they are using WWJD. Now, you look at all these groups, and it's obvious there's a whole lot of people that don't have any idea what the real Jesus would do. But then I look at the passage that we read. Jesus had been talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. And she says in verse 25, I know Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. Jesus said, I that speak unto thee am, am he. And so then she left to go tell the men in the city that she had just met the Christ. But when the disciples come on the scene in verse 27, it says, Upon this came his disciples, and this is interesting, and marveled that he talked with a woman. I get the impression that if you would have asked the disciples when they were in the city of Sychar, Hey, when you go out to the well where, where your Jesus is at, you think you'd see him talking to a Samaritan woman? I believe they'd have said, absolutely not. Because they're shocked. They marveled that he talked to the woman. Now, it may have been simply because she was a Samaritan. And, of course, the Samaritans were worse than dogs to the Jews because they were a mixed race from the Assyrians when they took over the northern ten tribes in about 722 B.C. and the Jews that had been left behind. So they're called Samaritans. Well, it could have been that she was a woman. Some rabbis had said that it was a waste of time to talk to a woman. Well, that can't be totally true because otherwise we'd never get married. And then where would we be? You've got to be able to talk to them sometime. But how are you going to find out what Jesus would really do? I want to submit to you, Hebrews 13.8 declares Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. If you want to find out what Jesus would do, go to the scripture, find out what he did, and since he hasn't changed, whatever he did 
is what he would do today. Now, I thought of a number of things. Just in the passage, there are several. There are some others in different parts of the gospel accounts of things that Jesus did. And you know, I found, and I've preached this message in a number of different places, some people get upset. Because there are things Jesus did that they would have marveled, and they would never marvel if they ever read the scripture about what Jesus really did do. So let me give you just a few things. You can think of some more, I'm sure. But if, for instance, back in verse 4 of chapter 4, the scripture says, well, let's read verse 3 too. He left Judea, departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. That's an interesting statement. He must needs go through Samaria. But you have to understand, is if you were to draw a line from, uh, from Jerusalem up to Galilee, it would be a straight line right through Samaria. Why must he needs go through Samaria? That's not the way the Jews went. They didn't want to defile themselves by being around the Samaritans. They would normally either go up along the coast or they would go across to the Jordan River on the east side of it and go up and then cross back over when they got to Galilee. But Jesus must needs go through Samaria. What are you trying to make out, preacher? It's this. Jesus would go out of his way to win the lost. I'd say the missionary you heard tonight, she went out of her way to win the lost. I mean, I've heard of the Ivory Coast, but I... I've never been there, never had any reason for going there. Uh, she had to go out of her way to go where she's going. Matter of fact, most of these missionaries have had to go out of their way to go where they've gone to win people to Jesus Christ. Because, you see, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, part of our problem today is we're not willing to go out of the way We've got things we want to do. We've got places we want to be. We've got games we want to play. We've got a lifestyle we want to have. And soul winning doesn't fit that for most people. To be a missionary, you've got to go out of your way to be a missionary. Everything has to change. There has to be a real commitment if it's going to count. But Jesus went out of his way to win the lost. David Livingston opened up Central Africa with the gospel of Christ. There was a mission board who wrote to him and asked if he knew of a good road to where he was at because he had some people that wanted to go and help work with him. He wrote back to them. He said, tell them to stay at home. If they need a good road to come work with me, they've got no business coming. We want the easy way of life. I've got news for you. For your church to give like you've given to missions, like you've sacrificed for missions, financially you've gone out of your way. You've gone over and above what most churches would ever do for missions. You've gone out of your way for the salvation of souls. That's what Jesus would do. He'd go out of his way to win souls in Akala. He'd go out of his way. Why? This great missionary, the greatest of all, who did what God told him to do. For the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He went out of his way to win the lost. And what did he command us? He commanded us, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Yeah, Jesus was not a Calvinist. God has never been a Calvinist. Every creature. You realize you can't witness to the wrong person. Every creature. It's that every creature feature 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we continue on like we should, we'll continue to go out of our way to win the loss. Number two, he'd tell the truth about their sin. What would Jesus do? He'd tell the truth about their sin. We live in a world that brags about their sin. They're proud of their sin, whether it's perversion or just old-fashioned sin. They're proud of what they do. But Jesus, and we, of course, we want to be nice people, and so we don't really want to mention their sin. Oh, we'll tell them they're sinners, and most sinners will admit that they're sinners. They just don't think they're that bad of sinners to go to hell. But I look at the passage here, and it says in verse 16, Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thine husband. In that saidest thou truly. Now wait just a moment. She didn't bring it up. Jesus brought it up. Didn't Jesus know ahead of time she'd had five husbands and she was living in adultery with a man that wasn't her husband? He knew it. He brought it up. She hadn't said anything. To give any indication that she was an adulteress. None at all. Jesus brought it up. The truth is, for people to get saved, they got to know they're lost. To know they're lost, they have to know they're sinners. And it's not just the terms. They have to know they're sinner sinners. That they deserve hell and the wages of sin is death. I heard a preacher say one time, it absolutely shocked me. He said, well, there are times that Jesus sets aside the word of God for the sake of people. And he went to John chapter 8 with a woman that was taken in adultery in John chapter 8. You remember some of the Jewish religious leaders had gotten a hold of her. They brought her to Jesus. And since the law commanded that adulterers and adulteresses be stoned, uh, therefore they asked Jesus, what do you say? And so Jesus wrote something in the dirt. Now, I've heard all kinds of preachers give all kinds of reasons why they think they know exactly what Jesus wrote. I want to tell you, I don't. I thought if God wanted us to know, he would have told us. And he probably didn't tell us so we could make up a bunch of things. But, but one of the things, uh, he might have written the scripture down that said in the, in the law that it took two witnesses. He might have written down the scripture, not only two witnesses, but where's the man? Because in the law, you see, that both the man and the woman were to be stoned. I don't know what he wrote down. Some people suggest maybe he started listing the sins of the Jewish men that were there that had brought the woman to him. Whatever he wrote down, though, they walked away. So he looked up at the woman. He said, where are thine accusers? And she said, no man, Lord. So Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Now I want you to get this. The reason Jesus did not condemn him, because you'll remember, as the Son of God, he kept God's law to the letter. Because those witnesses, see, they knew who the man was. By their own mouth, they condemned themselves because they caught her evidently in the very act. That's what they said. They knew the man. All right? There's no witnesses there. You could not put a person to death with any less than two witnesses. There were none. Jesus couldn't have her stoned. It would have been against the law. And Jesus never broke the law. But by the way, he doesn't let her totally off the hook. He says, go and sin no more. He didn't say go and be better. He said, go and sin no more. He acknowledged her sin. What would Jesus do? He'd go out of his way to win the lost. 
He would also tell the truth about their sin. I think sometimes we have gotten so suave in our soul winning program that we never get down to the nitty gritty of how much sinners, sinners are. I'll tell you, when I found out I wasn't a good person, when I found out that all those good works I thought were going on this side of the scale that would outweigh all my bad works, when I found out that wasn't so, when I found out that all my righteousness were as filthy rags, that I was lost, I didn't do a lot of things that some Christians do today. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I had a foul mouth. I needed somebody to tell me I was a sinner, hell-bound, hell-deserving, needed to hear it. Jesus told the truth about their sin. Let me give you a third thing Jesus would do. We're going to be like Jesus. Third thing he would do, he'd tell the truth about their religion. Now, you'll notice what happens. The woman changes the subject right away. I mean, she's stuck. And the scripture says in verse 19, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. And now she starts talking spiritual. And every soul winner has had that happen, where you're talking to a person who's obviously lost, and they start throwing out their good parts. Notice what he says. Uh, she says, Our fathers worship in this mountain. Ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Now get this, look at it. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And then he says in verse 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I'm just simply saying he would tell the truth about her false religion. I know I've, I've been there, heard the programs, I've you know, bought the tapes, even used it from time to time, where you ask somebody, you know, do you know if you die tonight you go to heaven? Well, I'm a Catholic or I'm a Mormon. Oh, that's wonderful. No, it's not. It's not wonderful. I mean, good night, they've got another gospel. They've got another Jesus. They've got a whole other way of being saved. That's not wonderful. Well, well, that'll help them to hear us. No, they need to understand the lost. Jesus makes it just very plain. I'm just simply saying, he would tell the truth. Over in Galatians chapter 1, you'll remember the Galatians had started listening to people who were adding works to the gospel. He says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you unto another gospel, which is not another. But then he says this, but if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we preached unto you, let him be accursed. Pretty strong language, isn't it? And then he repeats it in the next verse. The Greek term there, by the way, is anathema. What does it mean? It means a curse, just like it says. Another gospel, another gospel keeps people on the road to hell. That's what makes it so wicked, where they think they're okay with their false gospel, but they're still going to hell, and hell is for eternity. You remember in chapter 23 of the book of Matthew, and we'll not go through it all, but beginning in verse 15, over and over again, Jesus says, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, over and over again. Why? They were preaching a work salvation. 
and in preaching a work salvation. They were lost, they were still lost. And every proselyte they made, Jesus said, was just as lost as they were. Matter of fact, he calls them twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. I mean, what would Jesus do? He'd tell the truth about their false religion. Religion doesn't save anybody. Jesus Christ saves people. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And you wonder why they wanted to put Jesus to death? How about John 8, 42, where Jesus said, You're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Man, you understand why they hated him? You understand why they wanted him dead? He told the truth about their false religion. So he'd go out of his way to win the lost, tell the truth about their sin, tell the truth about their religion. He'd preach more about hell. I had the privilege, and I think it might have been the third time that I got to preach at the National Shore of the Lord Conference. It might have been the fourth time. But I brought a message on, is there hell? And uh, I asked the question uh, to the crowd that was there, how many of you got saved? The main reason you trusted Christ as Savior was that you did not want to go to hell. And about 80 to 90% of the crowd raised a hand. That was their motivation to get saved. They didn't want to go to hell. My motivation for getting saved, when I found out I was a sinner, lost, going to hell, I didn't want to go to hell. And I took Jesus. You see, you didn't love Jesus? I didn't know him yet. But I believed the truth that he is the son of God, that he died for my sins, he was buried, he rose three days later from the dead, and that he'd save me if I put my trust in him. So I got saved so I wouldn't have to go to hell. When the message was over, I had one lady come up to me. She said, Pastor, this is an independent Baptist meeting. I had a lady come up. She said, Pastor, we have not heard a message on hell in three years in our church. Another lady came up and said, Brother Mike, we have not heard a message on hell in five years in our church. And then to top it off, I couldn't believe it. A man came up to me and he said, Pastor, we have not had a message on hell in over seven years at our church. I remember visiting in Manchester, Tennessee when I was pastoring their Temple Baptist Church in Manchester, Tennessee. I remember knocking on the door of a sweet old Methodist lady. She was up in her 80s. Now, this was back 35 years ago. And, uh, I mean, she's sweet. She obviously knew the Lord. It, it was very, very nice. But I said to her, I said, what's the difference between the preaching in your Methodist church today and what you heard back when you were a little girl? And she said, with a tear running down her cheek, she said, they don't preach on hell anymore. And unfortunately, we Baptists are going the same direction. You want to see, listen, you want to see, quote unquote, real conversions. I mean, where people are broken. Well, man, it begins with the fear of God. And I'll tell you what preaching on hell does. It brings the fear of God. I didn't take the time here to read from Luke chapter 16. But I want you to understand, nobody in the Bible preached as much about hell or as graphically about hell as did Jesus Christ. Man, read the gospel accounts. He didn't just preach on hell in Luke chapter 16, although that's enough. And it wasn't a parable, it was a true story. 
Just for anybody who's confused about that. He did it in several places in Matthew. He did it also in the book of Mark. He did it also in the book of Revelation. Like, for instance, Revelation 14, 11, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. I'm just simply saying, he'd preach about hell, and he'd preach about it strongly and graphically. It's a real place. Uh, listen, my grandpa died lost. He died lost in 1959. He and I were close. I was, I was nine years of age when my grandpa died. My grandpa, the Bible's true, and I believe it is. And what it says about hell is true, and I believe it is. Do you realize that means for now the last 64 years, and right now even as I preach, my grandpa's crying out from hell for one drop of water to cool his tongue, and he's not getting out. As a little kid, he was my best bud. Man, I love my grandpa, but we didn't know anything about heaven or hell. We knew nothing about it. And he didn't have anything to do with God. Bless his heart. But I lived in Sturgis, Michigan for 20 years of my, 19 years of my life. And I don't remember anybody besides the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses even knocking on our door. To warn us. I'd have been a candidate for a bus ministry, but nobody had one in our town back then. Let me give you the next one. He'd tell the truth no matter the outcome. Turn for a moment. Talking fast. I'm going to give you just a couple more. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, Jesus is talking to the uh, rich young ruler. Rich young ruler thought he was a pretty good guy, so Jesus gave him some of the law first of all. And he said, well, I've kept all those things from my youth up. No, he no, that's not true. So what Jesus did was he, he gave the man, he made the first three commandments. He put a practical spin on them here. It says in, in verse 21, And Jesus beholding him, underlined that phrase, loved him. Now none of us doubt that Jesus loved this young man, do we? But what does he say to him? It says, and He said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, Sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now Jesus being Jesus, the Bible says here he loved that young man. And yet what he said to that young man caused that young man to leave. Didn't Jesus know before he said what he said, that the young man would leave without trusting him. Then why did he say it? Let me tell you why he said it. Because he loved him. What's the lesson for us? Jesus never compromised the truth to get somebody saved. He told us straight. The young man needed to hear it. John chapter 6, Jesus said some of the most difficult things and all of the things that he said in the Gospel of John. I'm not saying you can't understand them. I'm just saying even the disciples had trouble with it so that some of them murmured at what he said. And the Bible says in verse 66, from that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Didn't, didn't Jesus know those disciples would leave before he ever said what he said? Yes. Why did he say it? Because it was true. Jesus never compromised the truth to keep anybody. 
What else would Jesus do? Let's see, go out of his way to win the lost. He'd tell the truth about their sin, tell the truth about their religion. He'd preach more about hell than heaven. He would tell the truth no matter the outcome. He would also rebuke his disciples when they were wrong. Now, any good missionary has had times when they've had to rebuke some people that they've won and trained in the church. Well, that's just being mean. No, it's what they need. Jesus did it. Jesus rebuked Peter, Matthew chapter 16. First, he asked him, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And of course, the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elias, you're one of the prophets, Jeremiah. And he said, but who do you say that I am? Peter spoke right up. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're right, Peter, blessed. And then right after that, in verse 21, Jesus begins to tell them how he's going to Jerusalem to be slain of the chief priests and Pharisees and to be raised again the third day. And the Bible says, and this is still amazing. I think this is one of the most amazing statements in the Bible. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Peter, what did you just say Jesus was? If he's the Son of God, if he's the Christ, the Son of God, you don't have any right to rebuke him whatsoever. So what does Jesus say in return? He said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. A public rebuke. Peter needed it, and he didn't go running off pouting. He took it. One of the problems with a lot of Christians today, they can't take rebuke when they need it. And yet, what does the scripture say about pastors? He said, I charge thee therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Man, we're, getting, we're starting to become real good fundamental Joel Osteens. I'm sorry. But it's not about feeling good today. It's about truth. And sometimes God's people need to be rebuked. And for their growth, they need to take it. I've got several more here. I'm going to give you one more. I'm going to give you something. I want to be like Jesus. I want to do what Jesus would do. But this next one, I, I really feel like I have failed more at this one than any other one. I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell it to you, but turn over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I mean, here's the greatest missionary of all. The greatest mission... What a great Savior. In Luke 14, beginning in verse 25, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, Look at the rest of that statement. He cannot be my disciple. Now, right away, we know one thing's for sure. He's not talking about salvation here. Because salvation is free. It's a gift. 
The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he makes it plain what he is talking about. He's talking about discipleship. He says, except you hate. You know, you didn't have to hate anybody in order to get saved. You understand what I'm saying? You just had to realize your sin. You were lost. Christ's sacrifice was your only hope. This passage isn't about salvation. This passage is about those who were saved becoming disciples. And he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I believe... My explanation would be the same as your pastors, Dr. Smith, or anybody else. The reality is that our love should be so great for Jesus that it makes our love for our family look like hate. Jesus must come, if you're going to be a disciple, he must come absolutely first in your life. Absolutely first. And then he says in the very next verse, and whosoever doth not bear his cross. Now, since Jesus is talking, he's not talking about a person bearing Jesus' cross. You can't. He's talking about you bearing your cross. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he says in verse 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. What would Jesus do? He would make the requirements for true disciples high. You say, preacher, how have you failed at that? I'm ashamed to tell you. I've been pastoring now for 46 years, 33 of those at Madison Baptist Church. And I have tried to make it as easy as possible for people to serve the Lord. It's not what Jesus did. Jesus made the requirements for discipleship high. Willing to forsake everything or anybody to be faithful to the Lord. I try to make the services so that it's easier for people to get to them. We don't cancel services, man. If we're having a snowfall, if I find out that there's going to be a snowfall or they're calling for one around Madison, you know, everything closes down up in Alabama. I'm sure it probably would down here if you had a big snowfall. But we don't even need a big one. All we need is a half an inch, buddy. It's time to close everything down because you don't want to be on the roads when those rednecks with four wheels, four wheels underneath them get out there. But anyway... Uh, what I do is I go to the church on Saturday night so that I'm there so that anybody who gets there will have church service. If I'm the only one, fine. I'm still going to have preaching. I'm going to preach to myself. But I do that, and so I'll stay all night at the church just to be ready for the next day. So if we get 10 there, if we get 5 there, 2 there, it doesn't make any difference how many ever can make it. How many ever want to make it? And I don't put anybody on a guilt trip for not coming. Everybody can't drive in that stuff. I get it. Which is why I don't drive in it. What I do is get there before it ever snows and just stay there. All right? I'm just simply saying, I try to make things as easy as possible. And we live stream, just like you live stream, 
But here's one of my great fears. People, well, they're a little tired. We're going to stay home and watch it. That's not church. Church is the assembly. And assembly assembles. If it hadn't assembled, it's not an assembly. The congregation congregates. And how can you exhort one another daily while it's called today unless you're there to exhort one another? Now, we do that. We've got people that can't get out. I know like you do. Uh, but I'll tell you this, and I've said this often on our live streaming, don't tell me you can't come to church on Sunday, but you can go to Walmart on Saturday. It's like nobody gets COVID at Walmart. The only place you get COVID is at church. We all know that. It's, that's the science. Follow the science. I guarantee you these missionaries have had to pay some prices to be where they're at. Any missionaries that we send out, if they're not willing to pay the price, we're not sending them to a place for them to live at ease and be Americans. We're, we want them to be disciples. And we need to train, I need to train our people, not just make it easy for them to be there, but to teach them that whether it's easy or not, we should be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a missions conference. I was looking around, I was going through and looking at the different mission letters that you have. There's no doubt, as your pastor mentioned, 140 missionaries. You've got a lot of people who are disciples, there's no doubt. And no doubt it's taken some disciples to give sacrificially for this church to have such a good record of giving. But if we're like all churches, there are some people who haven't decided to become disciples yet. I remember before I got saved, and I was attending that church so I could play softball with the church team, when it came time to take up the offering, I'd put my $1 admission fee in the offering plate. Then I got saved. And I believe if, you know, you get saved, your billfold normally gets saved too. And it increases. So after I got saved, I started giving $5 whenever the offering. My wife and I were making $300 a week at that time, the two of us together. So even when I thought I was doing good at giving $5, I was still robbing God of $25. But you know, as I got more serious about God, of course I needed to find out what a tithe really was. I didn't have a clue. I remember God dealing with my heart about that. And I'm not giving you that story for now. But now I'd be ashamed if that's all I gave was a tithe. And I guarantee these missionaries are the same way. And I guarantee there's a great number of you here. You're the same way. A tithe? Good night if all you're giving is a tithe. You're still dipping your toe in the water. You need to just dive in. Now you look at me. When my wife married me, I was 148 pounds. And right now, it's none of your business how many pounds are there. God has not let me starve. He has taken care of me. He's taken care of my wife. He's taken care of our children. God has blessed. And, you know, I just found, trust God. He'll do it. I mean, there have been times we've given, and we didn't have enough money to pay for the bills the next week. We just believed God wanted us to give that day, and we gave it. And God's always, you can't outgive God. And we don't give to get, except to give to get, nor to give more. 
Man, that's cool. But he would make the requirements for discipleship high. That's our Savior. That's the greatest missionary of all. He'd go out of his way to win the lost. He'd tell the truth about their sin, tell the truth about their false religion. He'd talk about hell more graphically than he would about heaven. Yes, he'd rebuke his disciples when they were wrong. He'd do all that. And he'd make the call for discipleship high. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. What a wonderful Savior we have. We exalt him tonight. We glorify him tonight. And as Peter told us in 1 Peter 2.21, that he is our example, that we should follow his steps. Lord, may we strive to be more like this one who saved us. Now, Lord, if there's one here tonight that's never truly been born again, convict them, I pray, of their sin. May they see their need for Jesus and turn to the one who paid their sins penalty at Calvary and rose from the dead. God, I pray for Christians tonight. Challenge their hearts. Their sin in their life, God, may they get it right. If it's an apathy in their life, God, I pray you'd stir them up tonight. Lord, perhaps there might even be someone here tonight that you're dealing with about full-time service and have been dealing with them. Tonight, they ought to make that sweet surrender to the Son of God. Have your will and your way in every heart and life. I beg it tonight in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.